and his entire windshield of his bus was shattered. And he was driving it, kind of looking out the bottom left of it. I'd heard he took a, a free iron and just started wailing on the front window of his bus. I guess that's kind of a John Daly uh, thing, you know. Uh, bad round of golf, too many cocktails. Next thing you know, the bus took a pounding with a free iron. I mean, basically, we played 30 holes. I, I, I didn't really think about it until after the second practice round, and I thought to myself, I mean, he buried that hole, that hole, that hole, that hole. I, I counted up, he made 17 birdies in those 30 holes that we played. And, you know, he, he just didn't miss a shot. And uh, it was just spectacular golf. Uh, I mean, if there was ever a tournament that was over before it was started, it was that one. Hello, everybody. Alan Bastable here from Golf.com, and this is the Golf.com podcast. It's been a little while since I've been back in the host chair, but I'm thrilled to be back this week with someone who I know is going to bring it, and that is 13-time PGA Tour winner Mark Kalkovecchia. Kalk is probably best known for winning the 1989 British Open at Royal Troon, but golf writers also know and appreciate him for being one of the best quotes in the game. That color and candor has helped Kalk land his own monthly show on Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio called Golf According to Kalk, and that show kicked off this week. Again, it'll be monthly, so definitely tune in and check it out. Uh, Kalk, welcome to the podcast. What in the world was that? <laughs> that was We're off dog, to a good start. Uh, Ohio State squeaky toy. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, uh, well, welcome. Thanks, thanks for doing this. Is it okay if I call you Calc? Does anybody call you Mark? Uh, not too many people. Uh, most everybody I know calls him Calc or uh, or other names, but uh, uh, Calc works out good. So, tell us where you are. We had a quick chat before we came on. Uh, paint a picture for us. Where where exactly are you at the moment? Yeah, we're on a, a massive road trip in the bus and. Uh, uh, last week, we, we actually went to the Kentucky Derby for the first time, so that was a lot of fun. And uh, now we are sitting on top of a mountain uh, in Lake Toxaway, uh, North Carolina, which is in the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains. And we're at a beautiful RV park, and uh, my wife and I are going to go play some golf here in a little bit uh, on top of this mountain. So it should be fun. And that, that's how you get around, right? You're one of, you're one of the, uh, the RV band, you and Daly and a few others, Davis Love, who, who go from stop to stop in your RV. Yep, we've been doing the RV thing now for about uh, six years and uh, take it as often as we can. Uh, I love to drive it, so it, uh, it works out great. And uh, this, this trip we're on is about an uh, uh, 11-week trip, uh, almost three months, and uh, we, we just never get tired of being in it, so it's a lot of fun. So you were at the Kentucky Derby. Lindsey Vaughn and, uh, and uh, Elon Nordegren were actually at the Derby photographed together. Did you happen to bump into them? We heard they were there. Uh, we saw amazing, uh, considering there were 150,000 people there, we saw an amazing amount of people we knew, but we didn't run into uh, the Elon and Lindsay. But uh, uh, we saw Ken Duke, another, uh, and his wife were there, and uh, uh, just a bunch of people we knew. Uh, so it was kind of a, a amazing considering the, you know, the, the amount of people were there. Did you make any money? Uh, Let's say I got out of the thing about even, uh, so that was that was a pretty good uh, pretty good deal. That's, that's <laughs> always a big a rally win. on the Derby itself on that race, so that was good. I think in Vegas or at horse races, if you can come out even, you're doing you're doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that was like a win, so I was happy with that. So I I was on your Twitter feed this morning. I saw that you did a 5K in Nashville a couple of weeks ago. That struck me as something yep. that Mark Kalkovecki doesn't typically do. Uh, no, I haven't ran that far in about 20 years, at least. Uh, <laughs> Actually, in my in my younger day, I, I did uh, used to enjoy running, but uh, with my failing back and the rest of my body parts and, and aging years, uh, 
I haven't ran in a long time. And uh, it was just uh, my wife's been doing these for, for quite a while, and she loves running. And uh, uh, at registration, I saw all these other kind of old fat guys like me, you know, registering for this thing. And I'm like, well, heck, if they can do it, I can too. And, and not only that, the medal you got for, for finishing this thing was really cool. So I thought, well, if I'm ever going to do one of these things, this will be it. And uh, that, that was kind of the whole motivation for the thing. And uh, sure enough, uh, I, I did it in 37 minutes. So that that was uh, that was pretty good for me. That's not bad at all. So how, how does that compare? Yeah. How does that compare to you know walking 36 holes or 54 holes in a day? How does the 5K stack up? I, I was sore for about five days in a row after that. I could barely move my legs. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, it, it stacks up as a lot harder than walking uh, walking around uh, 10 miles around a golf course, I'll tell you that. So you're still obviously out on the Champions Tour. We're coming up on the one-year anniversary of, of your win at the uh, Principal Charity Classic in Iowa. Now, golf fans or even sports fans might remember that win solely because you wore bacon pants and a bacon belt on, uh, on Sunday. Uh, are you going to be breaking those out again this year? Yeah, I am actually. I, I wore uh, I wore the pants on on Friday and Sunday, and the belt every day. Uh, just the belt on Saturday. So I uh, went with the bacon theme every day. So I think this year I'm gonna. Uh, I have two pair of pants, so I think I'm gonna do it uh, do it every day and, and hope for the best. Uh, it went over really well last year, and and you know, and then winning the tournament on top of it was just uh, uh, kind of a complete fluke, but. Uh, it was uh, it was awesome. So I think everybody's expecting me to wear the pants. So uh, uh, I'll be out in uh, uh, full bacon gear. Uh, in, uh, in <laughs> full bacon. I like that. Full Monty. Full bacon. Uh, what inspired you to wear them? Where where did the pants come from? Uh, a friend of mine is, uh, by the name of Brooks Reynolds, who uh, was the founder of the Blue Ribbon Bacon Festival. A couple of months prior to the tournament, he just texted me one day and said, uh, "What what would it take to get you to wear a pair of bacon pants in the tournament?" And I, I just kind of laughed and I said, well, the first thing you got to do is show me what they look like because if they're, you know, really hideous, uh, I don't even know if oh, I can pull on. that oh, off. And, and those weren't real he, hideous? He, he, <laughs> he sent me a pair and uh, they, they weren't too bad. So I said, okay, uh, I'll do it. And uh, he wanted me to wear them on Saturday or Sunday, you know, just one day. And when I got my first round pairing it was with Bernhard Langer and Kenny Perry. <laughs> I, I think Kenny Perry was the other one, but I know Bernhard was one of them. And I thought, well, we're in like the, the marquee, you know, TV group grouping here. And I thought I better wear them the first day because, you know, in case I, I don't have a great day, then I'm not going to even be on TV. And anyway, so I, I knew I'd, I'd at least get on TV with these pants the first day playing with Bernhard. So sure enough, uh, I did. I, I had a good round. I shot four under and, uh, uh, you know, then I just kept wearing them the rest of the week and, uh, ended up winning the tournament. So it was, it was quite a story. So, uh, Besides your bacon pants, the other the other big buzz on the Champions Tour last few weeks or last couple of weeks has been John Daly's emergence. Uh, I don't think you played last week, did you, with Daly? You weren't out there, were you? No, no, I didn't. That was uh, that was one of those uh, things uh, last year in Houston uh, that my wife and I have always wanted to get to the Derby, and uh, we decided if the Derby was the same week as Houston, we were just going to go ahead and go because uh, I just, you know, I mean – Every week on, on tour, you know, you, you have courses you love and courses you don't, and there's nothing wrong with the, the course in Houston. It, it's a really good course. I just don't seem to play it very well, and and I was down at the bottom and not having a very good time, and I said, screw it. If 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 the Derby is the same week next year, we're going to the Derby. So, you know, sure enough, that's what happened, and the, the schedule came out, and it was the same week, so off to the Derby we went. But uh, 
yeah, I mean, JD played pretty good. Um, I heard it was quite a, uh, quite a scene there. Uh, everybody came out wearing all their loud mouth bacon or their loud mouth, uh, you know, John Daly, uh, suits and, and gear. I heard it was quite a scene. Do you, do you think, do you think Daly can, can make, obviously the first few weeks is going to be a lot of excitement around, but do you think long-term, um, Assuming he plays well, can he can he make a difference? Do you think he can move the need, move the needle out there? I, I think so. I mean, he's uh, he's still a big name that a lot of people like to come out and watch play. Uh, just because you never know, you know, what you're going to get with with John, and he's always been that way, and and he'll never change. I mean, if you looked at the scorecard last week, you know, he's making birdies all over the place, and then he makes a triple, and you know, I mean, that's just that, that's that's JD in a nutshell, and. Uh, um, you know, he still hits at 10 miles, uh, and, and that's what people like to see as well. So, uh, you know, I know he's going to play every week. Uh, so he's going to be a uh, – I think he's going to be a great addition to the uh, to our tour, to the Champions Tour. So, uh, and, you know, he should play well, obviously, with with, with distance that he has. Uh, it's always an advantage. Uh, but, you know, you still have to make a lot of putts and, uh, you know, keep the disasters down to a minimum. But, minimum, but he should uh, have a, a big impact on the tour, I think. What's the – what's the uh... – the most John Daly, John John Dalyish thing you've seen, John Daly do. If that makes sense. <laughs> well, uh, and not such a a, a good thing. Uh, after uh, several uh, drinks, uh, bottles of beer, uh, bottles of Jack, or whatever he drank, after missing the cut in Texas, uh, I didn't actually see him do it, but I saw the end result of it because he he passed us in his bus. I passed him, and his entire windshield of his bus was shattered, and he was driving it, kind of looking out the bottom left of it. I'd heard he took a, a free iron and just started wailing on the front window of his bus. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess uh, I guess that's kind of a John Daly uh, thing, you know. Uh, bad round of golf, you know. Too many cocktails and a uh, big fight. And uh, next thing you know, the bus, bus took a – Took a pound in with a three iron. Wow, yeah, that that certainly qualifies. Uh, but, but if you if you can imagine imagine him looking out, you know, leaning to the very left, and it's not safe to do. Obviously, I'm like, how could he drive the thing like that? Because he was like leaning over the left edge of his steering wheel, looking out of the bottom left corner of this windshield, driving this 45 foot, two million dollar bus, you know, with a shattered windshield. Uh, it, it was just a a visual that I'll never forget. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> They, you know, a lot of people feel, you know, given the given the talent Daly had, you you obviously know him well and have played with him. You know, if he if he had had his sort of ducks ducks in the line, you know, through his his prime. I mean, how how many times do you think that guy could have won? Uh, yeah, quite a few more. Uh, there's no question. Uh, you know, I mean, he he did win two majors, and you can never take that away from him. Sure. Uh, but you know, only winning three tour events was uh, way before way below his potential for sure. And, uh, you know, now that he's out on our tour, uh, should he win? Yeah, he should win. But having said that, I, I should have won more than three times as well. Uh, and, you know, Curtis Strange never won. Ben Crenshaw never won. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great players that have never won on the Champions Tour. So it's, uh, you know, it's still it's still tough to win golf tournaments no matter what tour you're on. And, and you know, you gotta you got to play great, uh, and especially in three-day tournaments. It, it's almost even harder than four-day tournaments because if, if you don't play great the first day, uh, it's nearly impossible to win uh, because there's not enough time to catch up. Yeah. Uh, you know, and generally the scores are pretty low. So, 
uh, you know, it's, it's still hard to win, but uh, I, I think he'll get a win at some point. So as I mentioned in the intro, you, you won 13 times on tour. Does that feel about right to you? Do, do you feel like, I mean, I'm sure every, every player feels like they probably should have won, you know, a couple more right. events here and there, but does that number feel about right for, for your ability, your desire, everything? Um, no, it, it doesn't. Uh, if you look at, at how many times I finished second, uh, I think it was 27. Uh, wow. you know, I feel like I probably gave at least half of those tournaments away. So, and, and you're not going to win every time you get in, in a in position to win. I, I know that. I mean, it happens every week. You know, you see a guy that looks like he's going to win and he doesn't. So, you know, he, he, like last week, Roberto Castro, you know, he, he feels like he gave that tournament away. So, uh, you know, it happens almost every week, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I probably should have won close to 20 times, um, you know, which obviously would have been nice. Uh, it might have made the difference uh, of getting in the Hall of Fame or not. Uh, but, you know, who's to say? Uh, but, uh, no, there, there should have been a few more wins in there. But, you know, looking back, uh, I'm, I'm certainly not disappointed with my career at all. And, uh, uh, you know, and the good news is, is, uh, still got a long way to go. Uh, hopefully, uh, that's 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 where we're really lucky in this game to to be able to keep playing and, and competing at our age, uh, even even on the on the on the Champions Tour. You know, it's still still fun and it's still still fun to get out there and get after it. Is the Hall of Fame something you, something you thought about during your career, um, or is it something now looking back, you're kind of saying, ah, if I had won a few more times, I I, I would have had a good chance. It wasn't. Uh, I to think you? about it. I think about it every April. Uh, when the Masters rolls around, when I'm not in that tournament, when I think of that shot Sandy Lyle hit in 1988, yeah. uh, you know, all he had to do was catch it a little fan and hit the lip <laughs> and make a buggy, and I would have won the Masters, you know, and, and I would have had two majors, and that, that, that certainly would have got me in the Hall of Fame, I think, uh, 13 wins and two majors. Um, so, you know, it, it, when you look at it that way, uh, I'm, I'm really one shot away from another guy hitting a bad shot uh, from getting in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and you know, and I'll, I'll never get in the Hall of Fame. So it's it's when you look at it that way, it's it's pretty close. But uh, uh, again, I, I had my chances, and I probably uh, it, it would have been nice. Let's put it that way. That, that would have been a nice. Uh, uh, you know, every every week when I play on tour with uh, Tom Kite or uh, or or Ben Crenshaw or Hale Irwin, and they announce you know World Golf Hall of Fame member when they're teeing off. Uh, you know, that has a nice ring to it. Sure. That would have been nice. Well, Freddie got in with with fifteen and one major, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, that he did. But you know, that's that's Fred Couples. Uh, yeah. You know, if, if for some reason, you know, I mean, he's a uh, a media darling and a, a and a crowd favorite, and you know, much more of a uh, more of a world famous type guy. I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with it. You know, President's Cup hero, all this other stuff. I, I think a lot of that uh, has something to do with it. Yeah, no question. Well, let's talk about the major you did win, uh, the British Open back in '89 at at Royal Troon, which actually that the, the uh, uh, Open is going back there this year, which uh, I'm sure is circled on your calendar. Uh, what what yeah. what stands out about that week? Uh, you shot you shot three consecutive 68s Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which got, obviously got you in the playoff with Norman and Grady. Is there a is there a memory? I'm sure I'm sure the whole week feels pretty good when you look back at it but is, is there a moment or a memory that that really st- sticks with you um yeah a couple things i mean i remember the weather just being you know perfect every day uh and 
the, the first great memory of the week was uh, uh, my first practice round. Uh, Mark Amir and I uh, uh, played against Arnold Palmer and Curtis Strange in a uh, in a best ball practice round match. So playing playing in a in a practice round with Arnold Palmer, uh, you know that that pretty much already made the week a great week right there. And that day, uh, I just loved the course at first sight. It was just uh, uh, every hole appealed to me, and I just. I was playing well. Uh, I mean, everything just felt good. I felt good. Uh, and, you know, and then as the week went on, uh, I was just kind of hanging around, playing pretty good. And, and uh, then the next thing you know, I, uh, the next, you know, I flew that chip in the hole on number 12. I was, I was struggling for three or four or five holes before that, kind of hitting it all over the place and it made a bogey or two. And uh, it was looking like I was going to bogey 12. And then I flew that chip in the hole and uh, everything just turned around at that point. And, uh, Played fantastic after that, and the next next thing you know, I ended up winning in the playoff and uh, had the had the clear jug in my hand. Is you know the British Open is one of those events where guys can be competitive, you know, what, certainly into their fifties. We obviously all remember what Tom Watson almost did at fifty nine. Is and you've you've have good memories. It's a course you like. Does any part of you think, you know, you can be competitive this year at Trin? Yeah, I think so. You know, obviously, when I get to a place that I, I love, uh, I mean, just going back last, uh, I guess, uh, last time we played there, which was uh, when? 2004. 2004, right. Uh, you tied for 11th. Hamilton won. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I played in the uh, the Scottish Open the week before, made the cut on the nose and shot about a pair of 78s on the weekend, finished dead last, and literally was, was playing just horrible. Uh, and was kind of miserable. And we drove into the parking lot at Troon on Monday for a practice round. And I was like, my spirits went from zero to 10, just, just driving in the parking lot. And I ended up playing for 10th in the tournament. Um, you know, just just getting to a place that uh, that you, you love like that, that has so many good memories. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I can go over there and, uh, and have a good good week. You know, it, it of course, it comes down to making pots when you need to. And uh you know, depending on the weather too, you don't need to get stuck in a, you know, I usually go off fairly early, either Thursday or Friday. And, uh, uh, last year, the year before it was blowing about 40 miles an hour at Burkdale and raining sideways. And, you know, you, you don't need to get stuck in a bad weather break either. So, right. uh, there, there's a few other factors that come into play, but, uh, assuming everything goes normal, uh, I, I think I can, uh, have a good, good week over there. I mean, is there much of a difference between, you know, Mark Kalkovecchia playing that course at 35 or 45 or 55? I mean, obviously you're not – I'm sure you've lost a, a few yards off your driver and whatnot, but by and large the golf course looks the same to you and you think you can sort of play it, you know, as you had – as you did 20 years ago? Yeah, yeah exactly. From, from what I've heard, uh, I mean, they, I don't think they've <clears throat> added, you know, three or 400 yards to the course in length. I, I, I think the course is exactly the same. I know 11 to par four now instead of a par five that it was 25, 26 years ago, but uh, that's no big deal. It, it doesn't matter what the par is, but uh, you know, I think, I don't think length is really an issue there. Um, uh, you know, it's about keeping the ball out of the bunkers and uh, uh, you know, managing it, depending on the wind, it's usually downwind on the front and into the wind on the back nine. And uh, uh, I remember in 04, you saw a lot of guys shooting scores like 32, 42 and, uh, you know stuff like that. So it's, once you once you make that turn, if the wind is is like that again, you know, just 
just making pars in the back nine and not making any, uh, you know, any doubles or triples or, you know, hitting the hay and, and making big, big numbers. So I think if you can stay away from that, uh, that type of stuff, uh, I should be okay. So if I can get you at like 80 to one or 90 to one at Ladbrokes, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to go put a few pounds down. I like your chances. Uh, yeah, maybe five, five pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever bet on yourself at a, at a British Open? Uh, I got to admit, I did one time, and it was kind of a funny story. And you're not supposed to do something like this, but this was a long time ago. And uh, I, I bet on myself against two guys I was playing with. Uh, you know, they have matches where, you know, you can bet on a player against the other two players in, in any given match. Right. And uh, I had these other two guys beat the whole day. And, and then this other guy made a couple birdies, and I still had – this other guy beat by a mile and then this one other guy beat by one and I hit it like 20 feet in the last hole and he's got like a 60 footer. So I got, you know, I got this thing locked up. He makes a 60 footer for birdie and I about <laughs> died right on the green because all I was thinking the whole day was, was trying to beat these two guys. I wasn't even really thinking about my score. And then I was so shaken up. I, I barely two putted from 20 feet to tie. And that's the last time I ever did anything like that. <laughs> that might be my favorite <laughs> British open story of all time. What do what British yeah. Open was it, and who were the other two guys? Uh, one guy I remember was Eduardo Romero. Okay, uh, but but I can't tell you who the other guy was. <laughs> and it was at Royal Burkdale, uh, probably in uh, uh, the nineties, uh, not eighty eight. The next time we played there, uh, seventy one and eighty eight. It was my second Open. It was so it was the next time we played there. Maybe when uh, the next. Uh, Maybe the year Tom Lehman won there. Okay. Great story. The uh, Another great British Open story I, I read, um, at the 2000 Open, you played a couple practice rounds with Tiger. That's when he blew away the field at St. Andrews. Yep. And yep. Uh, you played a couple of rounds, and he shot like 17 under or something over two rounds, and you were basically like at that point, even before you got started, you knew it was over. T- tell me about that. Yeah, yeah he sure did. Uh, we went out and started on uh, – uh, two fairway every day at six in the morning. Uh, and basically we played through 16, uh, and, and hit our drives in 17 and went, then went back to the hotel. So we didn't even play one or 18 or 17 really. So, I mean, basically we played 30 holes and, uh, I, I, I didn't really think about it until after the second practice round. And I thought to myself, I mean, he buried that hole, that hole, that hole, that hole. I, I counted up. He made 17 birdies in those 30 holes that we played. Wow. And you know he he just didn't miss a shot, and uh, it was just just spectacular golf. Uh, and I, I just thought to myself, I mean, if there was ever a tournament that was over before it was started, it was that one. And I mean, there's been some other ones that he's obviously won that were over before they started, but I'd never seen anything like that before, where you know he was that made that many birdies, you know, effort effortlessly yeah. in a practice round. Uh, before a tournament so yeah that was uh that was quite a display of golf it feels like a long time ago uh yeah it sure does where are you with tiger these days i mean there's so much speculation obviously and nobody really knows but i know you you know him pretty well and you you live down in west palm i mean can you can you shed any can you give us any insights on where he's at where his game's at what what we might or should expect from him when he does come back you know it's it's kind of a, a shame really uh we live four miles apart and uh, I never see him. Uh, when I was still a member out at the Medalist, right when he first joined there, 
saw him on the putting green and we talked for five minutes and that was about it. And, uh, you know, I just said, Hey, you know, just give me a shot or you, know, you want to do something or come over to the house and bowl. Uh, we had a two lane bowling alley in our house or, you know, just anything, just give me a shout. But, uh, you know, nothing, never did. And you just never see the guy, uh, you know, I'll see him, I'll see him at Troon and we'll say, Hey, and, and talk for a few minutes and that'll be about it. So, uh, uh, other than that, I, I, I can't really tell you what's what's going on with him uh, or how he's feeling or, or anything. So it's uh, it's kind of a mystery, really. But so so your sense is though he's gotten he's gotten even more reclusive. It sounds like I mean you had a little bit of uh, a relationship with him and then sort of just nothing. Exactly. Uh, once uh, once that accident happened, uh, you know that's kind of when he went in the shell, and, and since then it's even gotten worse. Uh, you know, same thing with. Uh, <clears throat> I, I think he, he, he rekindled with Almira a little bit. I, I guess they played a practice round together at the Masters or two this yeah. last year. So I guess they've gotten gotten to be friends again a little bit, and, and John Cook a little bit also. But, you know, they all used to be really close, and, uh, you know, he doesn't even really talk to them anymore. I, I asked Almira a, a few years ago, uh, you know, how's Tiger doing? He says I hadn't talked to him in three years. You know, so same thing. Uh, he just uh, he just kind of, you know, kind of went, went quiet and uh, uh, just – Kind of disappeared, more or less. Yeah. Well, it's going to be fascinating. What, however, he plays when he does come back. Obviously, there'll be a lot of eyeballs on him. Uh, what? I think he'll come back in Muirfield. That's. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna call Muirfield at the memorial. Yeah. Uh, in a few weeks, and uh, I think that'll be a great place for him to come back. Uh, you know, with a the success there and, and pretty wide fairways, and there's not a whole lot of pressure off the tee there, so. Uh, I think that'd be a great place for him to, to 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 play if he if he comes back at that point. Yeah, and then obviously Oakmont coming fast on the heels of that tournament, which you know, yeah, is, is a it's obviously the opposite a, of, of 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 fun there. Yeah, I mean, that's well, a, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's a torture test. So we'll see. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, how great would it be if if Tiger could get even you know halfway back and could could be competitive again with all the great players that are coming up right now. Although it has been, it's oh, been, a, it's been a bit of a strange. I'd love to see it. I mean, having said all that, I mean, I, I, I would, uh, you know, I would love to see it. The game's in great shape. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. These young guys are doing a great job, but uh, you know, and when Tiger's, you know, when he's gone, everybody kind of forgets about him, but uh, you know, he's still Tiger Woods. And when he comes back, you know, he's still going to be the guy. So hopefully, uh, uh, you know, I, I'd love to see him come back and play great. I, I think it'd be awesome. Which of the, uh, you know, of the three or four guys that, that you know, everybody's buzzing about, Rory, Ricky, uh, Jordan Spieth, Jason Day, wh- which of those guys would you be most bullish on over the next five or ten years? Um, you know, I, I think of those three that you just mentioned, uh, Jason Day, Spieth, and, and McElroy, I think day in and day out, uh, assuming everybody's on an even health scale, I, I think Jason Day is is better than the other two guys day in and day out. Uh, I, I think his swing is just so solid, and you know, I mean, they all hit it far and all that other stuff, but Jason Day is just uh, really spectacular pretty much every day. Uh, I think the other two guys get a little off every now and then. It just seems like Jason Day never gets off to me. Uh, sometimes, you know, he has bouts of dizziness or, you know, he gets a little sick or a little bit injured or his back hurts or something every once in a while. But for the most part, uh, to me, he seems like, 
he's the hardest guy to beat when he's feeling halfway decent. Uh, but I mean, they're all, they're all great. Uh, you know, Spieth's obviously great at Augusta. Yeah. You know, I, I thought he had that one won, but you know, that was kind of a shame what happened, but, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, and, and Fowler is, is great at times also, but, uh, you know, he, he either plays great or he's, he's, he's not, not very good. So he's, he's a little bit more hit or mess, I think, than the other three. I think you're right. I mean, day, I think that maybe the only concern with day is just, you know, his physical condition. He seems to always be battling something. Um, yeah, you know, yep, right. not to suggest he's like fragile in any way. Just he's had, he's had a bad, bad, um, a bad run of late and, uh, you know, it's always a concern. Obviously, we see we saw what happened to Tiger over the years, but um, it's going to be fun to watch, regardless. Where where are you? Where are you with golf in the Olympics? You think this is something guys care about? How, how do you feel about golf come, joining? Uh, you know, being part of the Olympic Games. Uh, I, I I wish everybody would have played. Uh, you know, it, it kind of bothers me that you know, all of a sudden every other week somebody decides they're not going to play that's eligible to play. I think uh, if the Olympics would have been in uh, this year, if they'd have been in Chicago or London or, you know, someplace like that, as opposed to Rio, uh, I think everybody probably would have played. I I think, you know, with the Zika virus and, and, and just Rio in general, I think had a little bit something to do with it. Uh, You know, Mark Leishman, uh, you know, his wife's sick, Adam Scott, you know, the schedule, you know, he said that did seven out of eight weeks away from his family, all this, you know, I understand all that, obviously, but uh, it is the Olympics. And, and, uh, you know, I I think uh, if you qualify, I think you should go. But uh, then again, you know, uh, you know, it's about growing the game and all that other stuff. Uh, You know, nobody plays golf in Brazil. Uh, You know, they play soccer. Uh, So, yeah. I don't know. I mean, they're saying that place, a golf course may be full of condos and houses in a couple of years. Uh, it's, 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 so who knows? Um, I, I think it'll be fun to watch, but uh, it's kind of a shame that, that some of the guys aren't going to go. But if you had, uh, you know, if it was 20 years ago and, and you had had a chance to play in the Olympics, you would have, you would have jumped at the opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, just, just, Walking into the, uh, the stadium and the opening ceremonies would have been uh, would have been worth the whole the whole experience, quite honestly. And just just watching the other uh, other events, uh, uh, you know, just going into the, uh, the stadium and watching track and field, and, and uh, you know, once you're done with your round and just you know watching gymnastics and just uh, I mean, it would have been unbelievable. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, yeah. it would have been uh, experience of a lifetime. One of the issues that's come up is uh, you know. It, it, really from the moment that golf, we knew golf was going to be part of the Olympics was, you know, the heightened drug testing that comes with, uh, with golf joining the games. Uh, and it's sort of, you know, cast a light on the PGA tours drug policy. And a lot of people feel like it's not, not, uh, not strong enough, not tough enough. Um, where do you come down on that? Do you, do you feel like the tour has done a, a good enough job sort of policing, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, or, or enforcing its doping policy? Uh, I think so. I think they've done a good job with that. Um, to me, it doesn't seem like it's uh, that big an issue, and I, I don't think that's the reason anybody's not 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 going. Uh, quite honestly, so uh, I really don't think that's a problem. Yeah. Do the the I mean the, the follow up there is the only reason I'm asking. I was curious. Obviously, your name came up. It was tied to to two uh, 
your your endorsement of deer antler spray. This is going back years ago, and the tour told you to right to to stop endorsing it. I mean, what? And then obviously VJ got got hauled in um, after admitting to to taking it. Was that? I mean, what was there any any real benefits to that? You know, uh, it's it's hard to say. I, I I can't honestly say whether it helped or not. I, I think what helped me is those little stickers that I put on my wrist because uh, my wrist did feel better after wearing those stickers on my wrist for a couple of weeks. Uh, and then uh, one of the other guys, one of the caddies, told me, he says, well, you got you got to try this spray. I said, okay. And then, you know, after about a month of that, uh, and half the time I forgot to, I forgot to try it anyway. And then, uh, uh, the guy from the tour says, uh, are you, are you doing the spray? And I said, yeah, uh, sometimes on occasion. Well, if you're going to the British open in three weeks, you better, it might be on the ban list. So you better not, uh, better not do it anymore, take it anymore. So I said, okay. So I threw it all in the garbage can and that was kind of the end of it. Yeah. What is it? Uh, is it like it's a spread? How how do you, you ingest it? Uh, it's like a yeah, it's just like in a little spray bottle, yeah. and you just uh, uh, spray it under your tongue. Yeah, huh. and just let let it sit there, and you know, it just kind of goes away. It just disappears, uh, like two sprays under your tongue, and that was it. Yeah. Did uh, and then obviously VJ was suspended, and then not suspended. Like, do you think he was treated fairly? I mean, for for taking the same. Or for allegedly uh, taking the same thing. Well, I, I mean, I can't really comment on what they told him. Uh, you know, from all I know is is evidently they told him to stop doing it, and he was still doing it. Uh, that, that's all I really know. Uh, if they, I don't even know if it was officially put on the on the on the ban list or not. But if it was, uh, he was still taking it anyway. Uh, that, that's all I understand, and I guess that's where the part of the grief came in. Uh, it wasn't even on any sort of list when I was trying it, and they just told me to stop it because it might be on the list. So right. uh, that, that's that's the difference between uh, our cases, I think. Um, <clears throat> and that's you know that's about the end of it. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's probably traded a little unfairly, sure, yeah. but because I think it's such a non-factor, uh, you know, it's like <clears throat> taking. Five Advil will probably give you more relief than, than two squirts of deer antler spray. So, right. Or, you know, Vicodin's okay. Uh, Celebrex is okay. Uh, you know, as far as uh, relieving what kind of pains you may have. Uh, so it's kind of the whole thing was ridiculous. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. The the show the show the serious uh, XM show is called Golf According to Calc. What is Golf According to Calc? <laughs> have you figured that uh, out yet? Yeah. It's a it's a uh, monthly uh, radio show on Sirius XM and uh, started the first show last Tuesday. And uh, Carl Paulson uh, is the uh, uh, the host, and he, he did a great job uh, helping me through my first show. And uh, we just talked uh, all subjects on golf, uh, uh, a little bit like we're doing today, and yeah. just talking about all kinds of stuff. And uh, 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 listeners call in, so it's kind of fun to uh, answer questions that uh, – uh, listeners may have uh, everything from, uh, uh, you know, what do I think about, uh, uh, yeah, uh, the what happened at the Masters, or you know, what, what do I think about this or that? So it's it's kind of fun. And the uh, the day and time of the show, do you guys have that set in stone yet? Uh, well, it was it was Tuesday at two o'clock. 
this past Tuesday, but uh, uh, I don't know if that's set in stone uh, uh, the second Tuesday of every month or uh, the, actually the producer kind of left it with, uh, we'll, we'll kind of get back to you on, uh, on when the next show is going to be, and then I guess we'll start advertising a little bit. So right. uh, as of now, it's just a, a, monthly, uh, a, a monthly thing. So maybe, uh, maybe it'll be a little bit more than that. Hopefully it was, uh, it was fun to do. Good. Well, I think uh, it's pretty obvious you've got a knack for it, and, uh, and, and we look forward to, uh, to listening to the show in the coming months. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was the always entertaining Mark Kalkovecchia joining us on the Golf.com podcast. Thanks to Mark for coming on the show. Also want to say thank you to everybody out there who's listening. If you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on iTunes or at si.com slash podcasts. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Come back and join us next week for another podcast on Golf.com.